Now, I hope that my mic is on. Uh, it seems that it is. I hope you also don't mind if I pray. Um, I've been doing this for a long time, and the one thing that I know is that if God doesn't show up, I'm in trouble. So I want to pray and make sure he's willing to speak through me this morning. So thank you for praying with me. Father, I do ask you uh, to, in every way you want to, speak through me and speak to these people. So for me, uh, I just open my entire life to you uh, this morning. And for those that I'm speaking to, Lord, you have at least a, a pearl for them. Uh, let them be wise enough to recognize what that is. Uh, bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, too, for inviting me to be a part of this uh, for dinner last night. Uh, but how many of you know that we live in a time when conspiracy theories are running rampant? <laughs> I mean, it is a crazy, crazy time to live. And I have prided myself for staying above the fray until yesterday. <laughs> I flew into Portland got into my little Kia um, rental car and got my map app going and that thing took me for a ride that honestly I thought I am absolutely never gonna get there, never gonna get there. And as my anxiety started to shoot through the roof, and I realized, you know, I'm from a place called Yakima, which is in the eastern side of the Cascades, and we get 300 days of sunshine. Uh, you guys get liquid sunshine, and yesterday was one of the big days of liquid sunshine. So the clouds were down. I honestly usually have a pretty good sense of direction. I had no idea where I was or where I was going. And my map app was telling me to turn here and turn there, and I'm in neighborhoods that I didn't know if they were good neighborhoods or bad neighborhoods. I had no idea where I was going, I was thinking about you, Aaron, thinking I'm gonna call him and he's gonna go, where are you? And I'm gonna go, I have no idea, how, how, how do I get there? So here's what I decided. The Russians did this. <laughs> yeah, all of those levied actions that we've taken just turned them against us and they've hacked everything and they ha hacked my map app. And it's, it's taken me for a ride. And I thought, I will never get there. I'll never find out where I'm at. I appreciated so much you, Aaron, praying for Ukraine and, and for Russia. And it's important for you all to recognize about Foursquare, which is the denomination that we're a part of. We are much larger outside of the United States than we are inside. Uh, we are in almost 150 countries. And uh, the way that we do missions is that we go in and build indigenous leaders and turn the church over to them. So there's an indigenous leader in Russia, an indigenous leader in, in the Ukraine, and those two are praying for each other and with each other and with the churches of those two nations for peace. And we need to join them in that. We need to stand with them in that. It's a very important time. So you are either in the middle of or getting ready to start a new series on the decisions that you make. And for me, as I lead churches, one of the things and questions I ask myself uh, constantly is what is the church gonna look like uh, as our pandemic unfolds, as the civil unrest that we've experienced over the last couple of years, as the globe uh, goes crazy. Uh, what is the church supposed to look like? And for me in particular, what's the church in the Northwest supposed to look like in the near future? 
And for me, as I think about the opportunity that I get periodically to speak in front of a church, I like to ask them, you know, what, what, is, what are you supposed to look like? What's this church supposed to look like? And I think really to answer that question, you need to ask a, a much different question. And I think that question is, is God still moving? Is God still moving? You're gonna hear me press upon you today that the church is not this building, but it's us. It's those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus. It's those of us that are pre that decision. It's those of us that are still wrestling with that decision. We're, we're the church. I mean, we're all over the map. But the question again I would ask you, is God still moving? Is he still moving? I sat in one of our churches last week, and a little lady stood on the platform. Her hair was gone because she'd been in chemotherapy. And she shared with that church that she listened to a song that had that line in it, is God still moving? And God just pressed upon her that he was gonna move on her behalf. And then somebody else in that church body went up to her and said, I saw this picture in my mind's eye, and in my mind's eye I saw you on a table as they were telling you that that cancer is gone. And she said, I stand before you today after just coming from that doctor and that table this last week, and all they can find is my in my body is the markers they put in my body so that they would know where the cancer was. The cancer is not there anymore. So again, I ask you the question, is God still moving? One of the fun things about where we are in the life of this pandemic and the craziness is that we're starting to see God really move. And I talked to another one of our pastors who they were having a baptism service and they were supposed to have 22 people baptized, which is huge. I mean, that's a huge number of people to be baptized. And yet when they started baptizing people, they ended up baptizing over 40 people. And one of the couples that they baptized was a couple that had just divorced recently, had been torn apart, and somehow had ended up in that church together, and both of them decided to get baptized. And by the end of the day, he was doing what he said, the shortest, fastest marriage ceremony I've ever done, because those two decided to get married again, because I would tell you that God is still moving. God is still moving. I don't know if you know this, but I'm right on the edge of a movement that was just very simply described as the Jesus movement. And it began the last time that our culture just completely got turned upside down. It was during the 60s and early 70s when the sexual revolution and all kinds of craziness and an identified group of people were called hippies. They were all these young people. And they all started getting saved. And God started moving powerfully through them, through signs and wonders. And the Jesus movement exploded. And most of my generation is a direct result of that group of young people that just absolutely threw everything down and said, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna live for Jesus because he's still moving. They literally had people from that generation walking into churches and sitting in the church and when the church was over, they went up to the pastor and said, 
when do we start doing the stuff? And the pastor said, what? What's the stuff? And he goes, you know, when we start praying for people and we start seeing people healed and cared for, when's the stuff begin? I guess I could ask this question. What's the world need the church to be? What does this community in this region need the church to be? You know what's interesting? And I'm purposely possibly going to hurt some feelings here. But here's what we learned in the COVID crisis about Christians, for the most part. What political party they were affiliated with. That's what we learned through this crisis. I don't know if you know this, but part of the reason that Jesus was crucified was because he wouldn't be the political leader that the people wanted him to be. So his own people deserted him because they wanted a political leader. And I don't know if you know this, but the current approach to church has largely been about getting people just to attend. But in Jesus' day, the only reason that someone would follow Jesus because they were either intrigued by who he was and what he did or because they had come to believe that he was who he said he was. So in other words, they were engaged. You didn't attend Jesus, you engaged him. And in the early church, the first century church, early Christians didn't attend church, they were the church. And that's part of the challenge and the charge when I get an opportunity to speak to churches that I make to churches. It's time for us to be the church. Because the church isn't about church attendance because that won't drive engagement. Engagement drives change lives. And change lives drives people engaging in the church. And I think it's why we're here. Now, one of our problems as Americans is consumerism has defined the last century of North America. Western culture and the church has played right into it. We felt like if we build something attractive, people will show up. So people come literally to critique us and evaluate us and see how we're doing, and if they don't like what we're doing, they leave. There's a migration of of people in churches today like there's never been in the history of the church. But... That's not what the church is supposed to be. I don't know if you know this, but authentic discipleship has always been about dying to self. It's about giving far more than we're getting. I'm gonna take you to Romans chapter 10 because Paul is getting ready to engage a church that he's never met, that he's never been there before. He's never stepped into uh, their services or anything else. So he wants to talk to them about what it really means to engage this one called Jesus. He wants to engage them about the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to them. He wants to engage them about the power that the resurrection gives to us. You see, engagement fuels involvement, involvement fuels passion, passion fuels invitation. I was playing baseball when I gave my life to Jesus. And I prayed the sinner's prayer on a bus in a McDonald's parking lot in Fresno, California. And the way I describe it is that I had a little handle on the side of my head and God just flushed it. Because I had gotten myself so involved in everything that our culture was doing in the late 70s. I was so entangled in darkness and messed up. And all of a sudden I cried out to this one 
called Jesus. And in doing so, the power of God fell on me, and I felt it. And I needed a powerful God. I'd felt powerful things. I knew powerful things. I needed my God. I did not need a weak, harmless God. I needed a powerful God who was capable of delivering me from all the darkness that I'd said yes to. And I'll never forget that day going to the front of the bus where the lone Christian sat all by himself. I was in the back leading the pack of the dark and dysfunctional. And as I sat down next to him and said, I just gave my life to Jesus, what do I do now? And his eyes lit up. I thought he was gonna choke me to death because he was hugging me so hard. And he started to talk to me about how he was gonna disciple me and what he's supposed to do and I stopped him and I said, what about these guys? What about the rest of this team? And in two weeks I preached my first sermon to that team. I had no idea what I was talking about. No idea what I was doing. But a crazy thing happened. Most of that team gave their life to Jesus before that summer was over. And in a few short years, the Seattle Mariners put a baseball team on the field in Seattle that was entirely Christian. God wants to move. He wants to move. So again, I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 10, try to defend everything I've said to you so far, so follow along. I'm going to fly through this. I have a limited time with you. I apologize if it's not going well so far. <laughs> so he's writing this letter. He's never been there. He knew little of them. Wanted to tell them about the power of God for salvation, what I've just been describing to you. And I honestly believe that's what our world needs today. They're searching for it, and they don't even know it. So he begins the chapter that is now marked 10 by saying this, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. So in other words, this is my people group. And I absolutely want them to know this story and be able to have an opportunity to make up their own minds about whether or not this is true. I love my people. And I, and I often ask, you know, you were placed here for some strange reason. I think you have a responsibility to love this place and to care for this place. Live in it and love it. Paul clearly was heading to Rome to engage that people. He continues, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. And I love that statement, especially based on where we are as a culture right now. If I, again, have seen something in the church that is so discouraging to me, it's this misdirected zeal towards how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And that's what the Jews who lived in Rome were doing, this misdirected zeal where they are actually persecuting and standing against God's move in this new covenant that is defined by Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He continues, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to upset, uh, accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. 
all who believe. You know, I, as I sat on the back of that bus, I just thought, man, I am such a dark, crazed individual. God could never love me, but that sense of him moving through my body just absolutely convinced me that wasn't true. He loved me despite who I was. And that's the healing message that we need to accept. That's the walk that we need to help others experience. There's been a tremendous amount of pain in our culture right now. There's an awful, a lot of ungrieved losses. One of my favorite authors says, life is a series of ungrieved losses. That we don't grieve the things that we've lost so we can't move on. We need to move on because as Paul continues, salvation is for everyone. So again, what, we, what do we do with this season? What do we do with what's happening in the face of, of our world? How are you going to bring your time, your talent, your treasures and join forces with the rest of the church to see God do great things? What kind of message is your life going to tell? What kind of legacy are you going to leave? Again, as Paul continues, he says, and that message is the very message about the faith that we preach. Salvation is for everyone, for everyone. You know, I have spent a lot of time in the Portland area, and here's something that is absolutely true, and you know this. Man, what a mixing pot of the world has come to Portland, Oregon. I mean, it is crazy how many people groups. And that to us who know that Jesus is the answer, that's actually exciting because the world is coming to us. The world is coming to us. What a great opportunity to be on the earth. And I just encourage you to do a little people watching and see who lives around you and what kind of opportunities God might open for you to have conversations with somebody because there are all kinds of people. One of our young leaders, I was in a conversation with her. She's about the age of many of you that I see in this room. And she's, she's really concerned for the church because she said, this is what my um, generation is saying. We're saying that the evangelical church in particular, we've made a decision that whatever the evangelical church is for, we're gonna be against. Whatever the evangelical church is against, we're gonna be for. And it's at that particular point I Grateful that I can say, well, we're not actually evangelicals, we're Pentecostals. <laughs> but as you know, they lump us all together. They lump us all together. And here's the point that I want to make. If God is still moving, and if resurrection power is still available to his church today, then it doesn't matter what people think about us. Because we have with us the power to change their hearts. And all we have to do is engage them in loving relational activity and we'll get the opportunity to share with them because they are broken and in pain which makes them wanna hurt people. You ever heard the statement hurt people hurt people? That's all that is. So here's what Paul says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith 
that you are saved. This is part of what we call the Roman road. If you're going to lead somebody to Jesus, you go through the Roman road. But I love the way this translation says it. If you openly declare. If you openly declare. You know, the early church was all about that. And the church through the centuries has been all about that. You know, the early church started to pick pick up the cast-off infants who were a little bit deformed, so they were just literally set out on the side of the road. And that's where the orphan movement all began. It was Christians that drove the anti-slavery movements of many centuries ago. It was Christians that drove the women's suffrage movement. We've done some bad things, but we've also done some really, really good things. And the power of God is available to us. Again, Paul continues, I am gonna get through this. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. That's a little helpful for me, because I'm a people pleaser. Uh, I don't want people to think bad of me. You know what's interesting? I don't have a single person who I've led to Jesus that thinks bad of me. Not one. He continues, Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously who all to, call on, to all who call on him. And to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Again, it's just another challenge that as the world comes to us, let's look for opportunities to love on them the way Jesus does. And I believe that he will bless us. And, and I want you to understand that doesn't mean you know, some of this wealth and prosperity stuff, it just simply means we will be successful and our life will have meaning and it will be good. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 21 years old and the only regret I have over that is that I didn't do it sooner. That I didn't do it sooner. Again, here's Paul. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Again, I was telling you about the Jesus movement and all of those hippies coming to Jesus. They absolutely had no idea what to do with these long-haired, sandal-footed, shorts, tank tops, walking into church. In those days in church you wore ties and suits and hats and dresses and all of these weirdos started wandering into church and getting saved and it radically, radically, it actually started new denominations and it started new movements because the existing church would not accept them. But that heyday is a while ago. That was the 60s and 70s. I don't know if you know this, but it's 2022. It's time. It's time to build. It's time to dream. And he closes this section, and this is how I'm going to close what I have to say to you today. If the worship team would come forward, I'm I'm done. How'd I do? Not too bad. I love this. I just absolutely love this, how he closes this section. He says this. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of of messengers who bring good news. Who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet. 
You know, as my life following Christ has evolved, there's been one thing that concerns me. I'll try not to get too wound up about this, but it still drives me. I now have responsibility over seven states. So it's not just the churches that concern me, it's the people that live in those states. And my concern is that I'll be standing somewhere close when they stand before Jesus and Jesus has to say to them, I don't know you. And in my estimation, that will be because the church has not been an effective witness in that community and in that place. So I absolutely believe God's still moving. And I have a sense of what the church should be in this next season. It should be a church that's absolutely, profoundly crying out to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to show up and manifest power and do great things in every place that the church exists. In places like this community. So understand something as I sit before you today. <clears throat> I am absolutely his boss. <clears throat> I, I can direct in some ways. I don't have that power over you. But I want you to sense and know from somebody that although he doesn't know you, he loves you. Because God has done that to me. love Jesus, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to be his witness in this community. It's time. It's time that the church takes its place in the world that we live in. You're being sent again. And here's what I know. He's really taking a chance on you. But he took one on me. And I'll never regret that. Saying yes to him and to that challenge. Let me pray. Father, I'm grateful for this morning, I'm grateful for this day, I'm grateful for this time. I am absolutely overwhelmed and grateful for this church. And I pray for it. I pray that this church, these people will rise up and be everything that you've called them to be. That they'd throw off the things that hinder them, that they'd allow you to pry their fingers off of things that won't get them where you want them to go that they'd walk in the fullness of who you've created them to be and they'd live in victory and live as sent ones. Would you do a great work in them and through them? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.